So we're concluding the, the series we started at the beginning of this year, uh, which is tied to our theme of stepping in. And it's a series of messages of just setting up your year. Some of the things that just you can say, I need to prioritise that, kind of set something in motion. And if you miss the messages, you can jump on YouTube, look up Life You See, and you'll find the messages there, not just the last few, but as many as you want to watch. But today I want to talk about the time of your life. The time of your life. And the basic principle that we've looked at in the series is that the order of things has spiritual power. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants then all your other needs will be met as well. Now, you notice there's a whole lot of encouragement, exhortation, challenge, but the spiritual order of things. Seek first God's kingdom and what he wants, and then all your other needs will be met as well. Now, before I get into the specifics of that, I've just realized I forgot something. So we were talking about priorities. And that today we're going to talk about the time of your life. And I want you to do something. I want you to turn to the person next to you and you can say it with attitude or you can just be nice about it and just say, your days are numbered. <laughs> now, <laughs> husbands and wives, I hope that wasn't too threatening uh, because you had an argument on the way here or your days, buddy, are numbered. It's not quite in that attitude. But in Psalm 39, David prays this prayer, verse 4. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. Now, there's younger people in this auditorium who think you're going to live forever. And if you love Jesus, you will in that eternal sense. But you, the sense of, but there's others you kind of feel, what happened? How did I get to be? And I'm not even going to nominate a number at the moment. And you suddenly become aware that actually your days are numbered, that time flies by, that there's only so much time. And the psalmist is not in a depressing way, but in a way of actioning something in his life, saying, God, remind me that I don't have forever on this planet. Remind me that my choices and what I do with the time and the days that I have is important. And it's not about being paranoid about it, and getting anxious, but just, Lord, help me to live in the reality that I've got a limited time on the planet and I want my days that are numbered to count. I, I kind of like sci-fi movies. If you don't, just forgive me and I'll forgive you and we can get over it. But there was a movie that came out quite a few years ago called In Time, and the premise of it was this that in the future due to overpopulation and all sorts of the crises that sci-fi movies project, that people stopped ageing at 25 years of age. How cool would that be? The bad news with this was from that point, you only had one more year to live. 
and there would appear on your arm a digital clock counting down the days, the hours you had left. And in that final year, there were some things you could do that you would lose even more time. And other things you could do to gain more time. And it just struck me, how would it be if all of us had that kind of digital clock on our arms? It would be terrifying, but suddenly you realize I've only got so much time left to make choices. And one of the things that the devil hates for us to do is to think about the meaning of life, the significance of our lives, and what we will do for eternity. That we're either going to spend eternity in the presence of God or eternity where God will not be. And the Bible calls that hell. Totally alienated God from God for eternity. He doesn't want people to really think about that. And one of the things that he has introduced, and it's not all bad, is this kind of obsession and has reached a new height in our generation of being amused. We want amusement. And the word comes from, it's made up of two concepts. To muse is to think, to consider, to ponder. And by putting an A in front of it, it means you don't think or ponder or reflect. So amusement at its very heart is to stop you thinking about the real things of life. Now there's a good place for amusement and relaxation. It's not that we're saying that's all bad, but the obsession that I need to be amused all of the time is actually, in a way, a deadly thing for living your life with significance because we ought to have time to reflect, to ponder, to think about what am I doing with the time that I have for my days are numbered. And we've got to say, what is the thing that anchors everything that I do within time? And we've got to determine what's really important in our lives and then manage our decisions daily. Decisions can be made they can be made kneeling next to your bed. They can be made in a moment where you just sense God's presence and maybe you've been through a crisis or something. At an altar call, a decision can be made. I'm living for you, Jesus. But then every single day, you've got to outlive that decision in a form of discipline. And I don't mean that in an overbearing, rigid kind of thing. But I'm going to continue to reinforce that key decision I made to follow Jesus. Jesus put it this way. He said to all of them, the whole multitude who was gathered there, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. So every single day, if you're saying, I love Jesus, he's my Lord, there are decisions you make where you deny yourself. Now, again, it's not that kind of we all become monks or, or something like that and some extreme ascetic belief system. But every single day, there are choices to be made. Am I going to indulge myself or I'm going to acknowledge Jesus and make choices that honor him? And Jesus says, this is a daily decision you have to make if you're going to 
follow him. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. The cross has become very familiar to us. People wear it around their necks and it's a good thing, not a bad thing. I'm not dismissing that or making light of it. But in that day, the cross was a place of execution and nobody willingly took up a cross because it was imposed on you. And when they put a cross on you, often was the cross bar, when they put that on, you were going to a place of execution. And so this imagery, Jesus is saying, don't wait for somebody to impose something on you. You go and pick it up and say, today I'm dying to myself so that I can live for Jesus. I'm prioritizing him. Because taking up a cross in those days was a one-way journey. You were going to a place of execution. And he says, now do it willingly. And it's not that you're going to die each day, but you're dying to self so that you can live for God and you'll find blessing in that. So with regard to our days being numbered, I'm just going to highlight a few points. And these are points for reflection, for considering, well, how am I making choices in my life? And the first thing, and it's connected to that thought of living for God, living for Jesus, is we need to remember eternity if we're going to live well in time. We need to remember we're actually eternal beings so that we can live well in time. Moses wrote one of the Psalms, Psalm 19. It's worth reading the whole Psalm. But I love a prayer that comes from his heart. But we need to read verse one and two to get the context of this prayer. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were, were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he starts the Psalm with this idea of God, when I consider eternity, and that you are the eternal God. You are before all things. You embrace all things. You created time. You are the eternal God. So he's already reflecting on eternity. And he goes through a number of things in the Psalm, but he comes to this prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. He said, when I look at eternity and then look at time, I reflect that the time that I have, I need wisdom to do this well, to live well. I love the way the message translation puts it. Oh, teach us to live well. Teach us to live wisely and well. And what a great prayer just to add from time to time to your daily prayer, God, today, this week, this month, teach me to live well. Teach me to live wisely and well. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So remember eternity. Secondly, remember that time is a gift. It's a gift that God has graciously given us a period on the planet where we can make choices and ultimately the most important one is choosing him. 
Lord, remind me, the psalmist says in Psalm 39, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. It's an astonishing thing to consider this. We can earn more money. You can't earn more time. So if you spend money, you you probably can get another opportunity to earn some more money. But when you waste time, there's no way of getting that back. You can't go and earn time somewhere else. You're saying, Sean, thank you for coming. I'm now totally depressed. (laughs) We all have an allotment of time and within a day, a week, a month, it's the same amount for all of us. And it's a gift from God. Psalm 31 and verse 14 to 15, it says this, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God and my times are in your hands. And right there's a powerful key. Lord, I thank you for this gift of time and I trust you with my choices. You are my God and I thank you that my time, whatever, however long it is, whatever it involves, is actually in your hand. And I live, I use time, I, I, I spend time anchored with this thought that you are my God and I trust you to lead and to guide me. So remember eternity, remember that time is a gift. And again, this goes with the very flow and it's kind of restating something I've stated already, but it's a reminder, prioritize God's kingdom. Seek God's kingdom in everything. It's not God's kingdom, then this and this. No, in your family, how do I prioritize Jesus? In your workplace, how do I honor Jesus? In your relationships, how do I honor Jesus? Prioritize God's kingdom. Jesus taught and modeled how to use time wisely in the light of eternity. And he says this in Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now he's not saying you shouldn't save, that you shouldn't prioritize how you manage your finances and material things. He's just saying don't make that the be all and the end all. He said, what you really need to do is saying, how am I earning treasure in heaven by my choices, by the way I use time and the choices I make within time? We spend our time, whatever we're doing, either honouring Jesus or dishonouring him. And in honour him, there are commands to love God, to love others, to make disciples and to make choices that advance his kingdom. And, And that can be in the everyday. It's not just the super spiritual moments. It's seeking to honour God in your workplace, in your family, and personal choices. So we need to remember eternity. Secondly, time is a gift. Prioritise God's kingdom. But he has a big one. We cannot manage time. 
Oh, there's a whole lot of management consultants who want to talk about time management. And I'm not throwing all of it out. There's some great principles. But Albert Einstein said that the concept of time management was an oxymoron. He says you cannot manage time, but you can manage your opportunities or your choices in time. So you're not managing time, you're actually managing yourself. And that is a powerful thought. I can't manage time because, and some of the principles in time management are helpful, but you've got to anchor it with this thought. I actually got to manage myself. I've got to manage how I respond to opportunities, what choices I make. And Paul says this in Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Again, here's this exhortation. God is giving you opportunities and you need to reflect on, is this a God moment? Is this a God opportunity? If it is, how do I respond to it as best as I can? And he says, be careful. He doesn't say be paranoid. And I just want to introduce that again as thought. It's not about us becoming too terrified to make a choice or making a choice and realizing actually that wasn't a good choice. I thought it was. Or even if you made a bad choice and you knew it was a bad choice, God gives us the gift of repentance and extends to us forgiveness and he allows us to reset things. So we're not talking about living paranoid but we're talking about living wisely, living carefully in terms of the choices we make. So we can't manage time. We can manage how we respond to God opportunities. The, the first thing, and I, I told you this is a checklist, and, and if you missed all of this or you can't take notes, if you actually go to um, our app or even to our website, you can get an outline of the message and ref, go over it, add your own little notes, do a little few things there. We'll talk about that some other time. But here's the, the first thing. We, you, cannot do everything. And wisdom is not only about making choices about what we do do, but also making choices about what we don't do. Now, I know there's some people here who just love lists. You love lists and you go through every day with ticking things off your list. And some of you, even to the point that if you do something that's not on your list, you add it to your list so you can tick it off. Come on. We won't ask for a show of hands. There's others of you that, that when somebody close to you brings out a list, you go, oh. I want to try and find a balance between the two of that. We should have a to-do list, but we should also have a not-to-do list. There are some things that I'm not going to do. Husbands, saying you're not going to do the take the rubbish out is not something you should put on the list. <laughs> we'll just let you think about, okay, what should be on my to-do list? And you don't have to go to the extreme, like people who was told those who love lists and as much detail as possible. Big picture, what is on my to-do list, but okay, what's on my not-to-do list? The sixth thing, now we come in to something that's a bit more encouraging. 
is time has a cumulative value. And one that means if you regularly invest in something, small amounts of time, it actually multiplies the impact in your life. And things like exercise for one, which probably some of you are already hating me, even bringing it up because you made promises to go to the gym and you're already struggling to do that or whatever else. But every little bit of exercise you do without going to the extremes. And that's what we sometimes do. We jump in, we go to the gym, lift everything. We're so sore for the next week. We promise we'll never go back there again. And your mind's going, you do not do that again to your body. But if you do something small in that area and you do it regularly and you repeat it every few days or even every day if you can, that accumulative effect has an enormous impact and it's the same with reading your bible and praying you, you go well I, I you know the, the the whole thing that most of us who've been in church for a while have heard jesus says to his disciples could you not pray for me for one hour and, and some of us have so guilted into no actually i can't i've tried the one hour thing and about 10 minutes into it i'm bored and i think god's bored with what i've got to say you know or oh, I read that scripture and I'm in Leviticus and it's just like everything's gone blurry and I'm lost, you know. It's one of the reasons we have the devotional thing because it's bite-sized. You can read more and you're welcome to do it. But the little bit each day and the little reflective prayer that usually comes with it, that accumulates and starts adding value to your life, your spiritual life. And so we need to understand that small amounts of time invested in the right things become incredibly powerful because the accumulative value just builds and builds. God works like that in a lot of things. Speaking to the nation of Israel, who are in a bit of a mess at this time, the prophet Isaiah says this, to whom will he teach knowledge? He gives a bit of an answer. For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. God is saying this nation's in a mess and I want to teach them some knowledge. How am I going to do it? Precept upon precept. And notice the repetition. The, the, the writer, God is trying to communicate to us. Yeah, it's good to make the big decisions and jump into everything. But he said, how about let's just go in with one precept, one key concept that will transform your life. Get it right, repeat it. And then a little bit more, a little bit more. And you add things to your life and suddenly there's a transformation that's taken place. If you do the right thing over a period of time, there's a reward in it. And God usually accomplishes things in our lives incrementally rather than instantly. And we want the instant. We want the instant. I don't often use the microwave for cooking and I love cooking. I really do. And um, more than Linda, actually, to be honest with you. <laughs> Having a bit of fun, she's out of the room. But I do. I, I cook most nights something. And I love it. 
and occasionally I'll use the microwave. And what gets me every time I do is how impatient I get with it. You put something in the microwave, you go, come on. <laughs> and I just think it wasn't too many generations ago. I know these young people here are going to be shocked by this. But people used to go and collect firewood. Start a fire to, for the oven or for the stove to cook things on. And it took a lot more time and yet we get impatient with the microwave. And we can talk about a whole lot of other things in our lives as well, where we are so impatient, we want the instant solution. God says to the children of Israel, when he's going to take them into the promised land, and we're going to start a series after the anointing service, the following Sunday, about the book of Joshua, to step into what God has for us. But he says to this, when I bring you to the land, this is in Exodus 23.30, he says, I'm going to give you the land little by little. I will drive them out, talking about the enemies from before you, until you have increased and possessed the land. He said, I'm not going to just throw the whole land open instantly for you to occupy. He said, you won't handle it. You won't be able to manage it all if you get it instantly. He says, I'm going to give you victory one step at a time, little by little, until you learn to live in that victory, until you learn to live in that truth, until you learn to live in that promise. He says, that's the way I'm going to give it to you. And yes, sometimes you come out an old call and I don't want to discourage that. And God does do some things instantly. But mostly what he does is incremental in our lives as we commit to just daily following him. So the final thing that I want to encourage you in, in terms of dealing with time, knowing that your days are numbered, is please, as we launch out into this year, make time for renewal in your life. Make time to just stop and breathe and say, Holy Spirit, just refresh something in me. Make time to just be in God's presence where you're not rushing here, rushing there, asking, changing, whatever. You're just saying, God, I want to breathe. Modern life platters our lives and puts so many demands on us, so many distractions. And we adapt and we kind of get into it. And some of us have jobs and situations where it's imposed on us, the sense of frantic. And all the tools that were meant to slow our lives down have actually made them worse. Computers, emails, mobile phones, this all, they promised us it would create more time. No, it just creates more demand for most of us. Because now we get emails 24-7 and if we don't answer them almost immediately, people get irritated. Whereas we used to send letters that the quickest turnaround time was probably a week. But now if it's not responded to, why didn't you answer? I sent you a text message. Linda has this thing that she puts her phone on silent for church. 
She has a ringtone that is so loud it could wake the dead. And still there are times she doesn't hear it. Uh, my daughter's here. We will testify. We will t- and occasionally, it'll be two days later, I'll say, oh, why didn't you answer your phone? Oh, I still got it on silent from church two days ago. It's a little bit of an exaggeration, but hey, come on, Deb, help me out. Don't leave me hanging. <laughs> In a way, I envy that, that she just forgot. Not really, but anyway, you get my point. And the pace of life is actually creating us to live almost in a constant fatigue. Sociologists refer to this era we're in as the era of fatigue because we're continually bombarded with stuff. And my exhortation is find ways of honoring the Sabbath principle that God introduces for humanity. We, we did it as a special message last year in spiritual disciplines. But God gifted us the Sabbath so we don't have to live frantic. And we don't live under the religious law and application of the Sabbath like the Old Testament saints did. But we do need to live in the principle of the rest that the Sabbath brought. Genesis 2 and verse 3, God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating what he had done. It's the most astonishing thing that even when God did nothing, he created something because he's a creator. And what he created was this holy day, this holy period In the Genesis record, there is no physical place that is called holy, but a period of time is called holy and sanctified and blessed. And again, we're not talking about a religious rigid thing where for the next 24 hours, I can't do anything, I can't drive, I can't, you know. Maybe it would be good if we had to do that. But he's saying somewhere in your week, find a space that you say, God, this is holy. I'm just going to do my best to disconnect from the pressures, the demands. And it's a challenge because we get addicted to the busy, to the hurry, to the demand. Psalm 23, great psalm. The Lord is my shepherd and things that flow from the Lord being your shepherd. But verse two to three says this, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. I don't want to put too big an emphasis on this, but I I think it's significant that the psalmist actually says, he makes me. He makes me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. It amazes me the number of people over the years that I have spoken to who have been faced with a challenging illness and may not even be a life-threatening one, but it's significant. 
You say, as much as it was a struggle, one of the things I'm thankful for, it made me stop for a while. And I feel like God slowed me down so I could just be by the quiet waters, the green pastures. And as much as I hated the illness and I hated the challenge of it and all the things, it became something that refreshed my soul. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And I want to encourage all of us in this whole thing of using time, making choices, priority, because our days are numbered. And we actually say, God, help me to prioritize those times, those moments, those seasons of refreshing, of refreshing. The psalm starts with the Lord is my shepherd. It's that acknowledgement when I've put God first. It's kind of the seek first the kingdom of God and what God wants. And the, the psalmist David starts out with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. 